Welcome to our Changing the Narrative podcast, where we engage in thought-provoking conversations about housing, homelessness, and community with local and national experts. I am Anne Miske, President and CEO of Union Station Homeless Services. Today's episode is entitled, The Rise in Latino Homelessness. Today, I will be talking with our guests about the causes of homelessness among the Latino community and how we can best respond in order to meet the needs of this community experiencing homelessness. We'll be exploring how to better understand the service and resource gaps, as well as the policy roadblocks that this community faces. But before that, you're going to hear from William, who became homeless in 2019 after caring for his grandmother. Not only will you hear how William was able to get the help he needed, but also how he is now using his life experience to help others in his community who are experiencing homelessness. Hi, I'm William, and I am the peer specialist on the multidisciplinary outreach team for Metro at Union Station Homeless Services. It was a very difficult time for my grandmother back in 2014 when my grandfather passed away. and Her children were busy with living their lives, and then I, myself, I don't have any children, so she asked me one day if I could come and stay with her, and she took care of me, I took care of her, and we just had this bond. And during the five years that I was there with her, she was always in and out of the hospital, but I always knew she would come home. Well, one day it was her time to go, and she meant a lot to me. And the day after she passed away, I was served with a 10-day notice to vacate the unit. I was just left in the streets, not even knowing that there was a full-scale pandemic right around the corner. The day that I was out of the unit, I'm like behind this liquor store with my bags. I'm like, I don't know where to go. And then somebody came across me from Union Station Homeless Services. Her name was Nicole. You know, she said, as long as you work with me, we'll work with you. So I thought, okay, I'll I'll check in every now and then. She would come out, bring me lunch. She would take me to my storage. She would give me a ride here and there. And I'm just like, is this like a joke? These people are amazing. Like, Not even my own family was there for me like Nicole and and others at Union Station were. I'm really grateful for them still. Eventually, I was placed into a motel room where they connected me with different services. As long as I was working towards my goals, they were doing what they said they were going to do for me. This is like six months later. I'm in the motel room. And she's like, I have three units lined up for you to see. And so the next day, I was going down to see the unit, which I'm currently living in still. Yeah, she really came through. And everybody that has helped me at Union Station has kept a promise. And fast forward, I move in here and I am ready to like get back into life. And I was introduced to Sergio from the job development at Union Station. And he was like, you should check this out. It was a eight-week cohort to become a social service worker. I applied for the program. I got accepted to the program. I did the eight weeks, and then at the end before the graduation, there was a job fair in which Union Station was going to be there. Everybody's like, oh, I've heard of Union. I heard that they are really good. And I'm like, well, they got me here. 
I went from being the person who was needing services to hopefully becoming the person that will be providing services. And I applied for the resident advisor role. I got a phone call from Dahlia. She's like, you know, I know you applied for the resident advisor, but we are interested in you for the peer specialist for the Metro MDT team. And then about a week later, I was sent a offer letter. I'm grateful for working a job where I can give back just the same way that I was given to. Out of all of my family, like, I'm the only one that speaks Spanish. That was through my grandma. I mean, I had no choice because my grandma only spoke Spanish. She would just laugh, but little by little, now I speak it fluently. I can read it, write it. And now I have been summoned to go out with other teams to translate. On the trains, I see a lot of people and I'm like, I am those people. And I'm able to use my bilingual skills to connect with people and not have them feel like nobody really cares. Just talking with somebody saying, hey, how are you? I'm you. And I just, I don't know, the feeling is as a person who has previously experienced homelessness, being able to help somebody that's currently experiencing homelessness makes me feel so fulfilled and it makes me feel like fuzzy, if that makes any sense. Thank you for sharing that with us, William. Now I'd like to introduce our two guests who are here to help us further understand the Latino community and what we need to do to create more success stories like William's. Joining me today is Dr. Melissa Chinchilla. She is a health services researcher with the Department of Veterans Affairs, Greater Los Angeles, and a project scientist in the David Geffen School of Medicine at UCLA. Welcome, Dr. Chinchia. Thank you, Anne, for having me today. Our next guest is Adrian De Leon. Adrian is the Associate Director of Recovery Housing at Union Station Homeless Services. Adrian and his teams have housed over 400 individuals in the past four years. His main focus here at Union Station is building well-rounded care coordinators to provide the highest level of care while maintaining the health and wellness of themselves and their clients. Welcome, Adrian. Thank you. Thank you, Anne. I appreciate the the invite. So before we start our discussion today, I just want to acknowledge that when we're talking about a specific community, there are often different ways that different people refer to that community. And we've chosen today to use the word Latino, but we know for others, they would use Latinx or Hispanic. Different people from different countries or generations use different terminologies. We do want to be incredibly respectful when talking about this, but we have chosen to use Latino. So let's start by just talking a little bit about the rise in homelessness. And Dr. Chinchilla, can I ask you, have you seen a difference over the last few years just in the numbers of people from the Latino community experiencing homelessness? Between 2020 and 2022, we saw that the number of Latinos experiencing homelessness went from about 35% to about 44%. So it was a significant jump, especially when we compare the number of just generally uh, people experiencing homelessness between the same time period. That number only increased about 6%. So it's significantly much larger for the Latino population. Thank you. I think that is definitely a really important thing to recognize. What are some other factors that affect 
our Latino communities, we tend to group people in big chunks. Even today, we're talking Latino homelessness, but that has so many layers. So one of the things that I think is important for us to acknowledge is the complexity of the Latino population. So you, for instance, have folks that may or may not identify racially. You might have folks that are Afro-Latino or that identify as being indigenous and from a Latin American country. You also have close to 40% are foreign-born. And foreign-born can mean that you are, you know, here on a visa, permanent resident. It can mean that you've been here for a while and now have citizenship status, or it can mean that you are an undocumented individual. So don't have documentation or legal status here in the U.S. That there are a lot of differences within the Latino community and that the community itself is not a monolith. Yeah. Um, what I've seen on the street level, you know, in Latino communities, it's a very tight knit community. And one of the biggest thing I think is these misperceptions of homeless services or just social services in general. I- I've definitely heard some pretty outlandish stories that, you know, my neighbors, sisters, daughters said that they signed up for homeless services and got their partner in trouble with their immigration status. But, you know, those are all misperceptions. You know, we have our own rules and regulations. We're not sharing with immigration on the field level, it's just building that trust and building that rapport, uh, dispelling these myths. Right. We don't report people. We do everything we can to help and support people. And those layers and those issues also are reflected in our ability to provide resources for people. And I think this is something in the homeless sector we recognize is that it is very individual the kinds of services that people are going to benefit from or that they need. And we have to really look at who is it we're working with. And so Adrian, let me again throw this back to you because you're out there in the field. What are some of those different things that may affect their housing status or their ability to get resources? I think the main part is just having the knowledge of how to access these resources. And like I said, Latino communities are very community-based. They rely on their peers, their neighborhood. So I think if Homeless Services wants to reach out to a little bit more individuals. We need to be in their places of faith, be in their places of community, uh, recreation, education, go into those places, understand not only the language, but then, you know, the culture behind it. I've seen that that's helped Union Station be successful, but I think that needs to translate across the whole county. Yeah, definitely. And I think as Adrian was mentioning, the Latino community tends to be very close-knit and word of mouth. And sometimes there's a benefit to these conversations happening among community. They're sharing information that could be potentially beneficial, but other times there's misinformation that's also getting shared. And so as Adrian mentioned, when reaching Latinos experiencing homelessness, the role of the trusted messenger is really key for folks experiencing housing instability. One of the other things that I've heard is that wages in the Latino community tend to be often low. And certainly that's going to affect the ability to pay for housing. Is that true? Like, Are we seeing low wages? Yeah, definitely. Just looking at some of these numbers at the national level, in 2019, the Latino population had double the rate of poverty when compared to white individuals in the U.S. And so significant poverty rates. Locally, you know, there are challenges with folks having a living wage and being able to afford the high cost of housing here in Los Angeles County. So those are issues that are quite prominent among the Latino community. You know, I think there's the perception out there that people are that are homeless because they're not working, you know, I'll get a job. And yet I think we know, and I'm sure Adrian, you can speak to this, that a lot of the people we work with who may be unhoused are actually working and often working more than one job. Yeah, 
uh, I definitely see, you know, like you said, people holding uh, one to two jobs, you know, and still not being able to make ends meet. And, you know, with low wage paying jobs, it didn't create too much of a, of a rainy day fund for individuals. And with the pandemic, it depleted that very fast, as we know that the high cost of living in California. Such an important point. And I think it's also important to acknowledge that both our Latino and our African-American communities suffer disproportionate amount of housing discrimination. So even trying to find apartments, places to live is difficult because of discrimination. And it can be hidden in a variety of ways. And that's a sad fact that we have to continue to acknowledge. Dr. Shinchia, what do you see are some things that we can and should be doing, either at the service provision level or at the the policy level? First of all, there's some basic things that we know we should be doing, right? So things like language access. We know someone's a monolingual Spanish speaker or speaks a language other than English. We should make sure that they understand and are able to communicate with our homeless service providers. Also making sure that our workforce mirrors the communities that we're serving. The other point that Adrian made as well is partnering with community providers and nonprofit agencies that may not be in homeless services, but that have a strong reach within the community and have gained the trust of community members. We need to recognize that sometimes the resources that are available to folks that are not citizens are limited. So for instance, if we look at things like the Section 8 vouchers and some of the housing subsidies that are coming from the federal level, folks that are, for instance, undocumented, are not able to access those resources. We also need to do a a better job at understanding what types of programs are working really well in order to ensure housing stability among the Latino population. Because if we look at the percentage of people identified as experiencing homelessness, and then we look at how many are engaged in outreach, that number decreases. And then we look at how many are actually accessing services on the road to permanent housing, that number decreases again. And then we look at how many Latinos are actually going into permanent housing, that number is even lower. So one of the things that we see is that there's a lack of throughput from point of homeless service engagement to actual placement in a permanent housing solution. So we need to better understand, you know, what's happening there. What what are the gaps and how can we address those gaps? Thank you. You know, you brought up a couple of, I think, really key points here. And one of the things that um, our sector and the homelessness sector deals with is there has been a lot more government funding coming in. Uh, which has allowed us to expand services and do more. So I'm not suggesting it's a bad thing at all. It's something that we definitely need, but it is restrictive. It comes with all sorts of hoops and barriers and things. And when we're working with people, we need to be flexible. That's where people in the community can really support because those dollars, those more flexible dollars, allow us to maneuver and figure things out and do things to get people to help. And again, let me throw out that word advocacy. Advocacy is huge. I always say if we're going to end homelessness, we have to come at it from two directions. On the ground, listening to the people experiencing it, learning how do we really support people and meet them where they are at, and then the policy level. And if we can marry those two together, we can create great change. So let me ask you, Dr. Chinchia, if you have any final thoughts on our conversation today. When we talk about ending homelessness, there's no way that we cannot include Latinos in this conversation. 
here in Los Angeles, Latinos now make up close to 50% of the population experiencing homelessness. So homelessness and housing instability is a Latino issue. And we need our Latino community to really get involved when it comes to advocating for affordable housing solutions. At the national level, Latinos now make up over 20% of people experiencing homelessness. And so, again, we, we need the Latino community to become involved in the issue of homelessness and solutions to this problem. Adrian, do you have any final words that you would like to say today in our conversation? Yes. You know, just really focusing in on the level of care that we give to our clients, but also our staff, you know, the staff and the client at the partnership, they're both equal assets to this equation of solving homelessness. So just promoting the overall wellness and health of our staff, I think is important because it is a marathon and we have to have our staff to be able to get into the communities and continue advocating and working with our clients. Thank you. The key to successfully ending homelessness is because of the service, the compassion, the expertise of those who are working every day to help people get housed, stay housed, and be thriving members of our community. We want that for everyone in Los Angeles but we know that certain communities are affected more dramatically and we are here to help and support and listen to our Latino community. So thank you all for joining us for today. Special thank you to our amazing guests today. I encourage you to subscribe and listen to all our episodes and help us change the narrative about homelessness in our neighborhoods. Together, we can be the solution we want to see in our communities. This podcast is produced by Brenda Lynch and Katie Cookerly-Dietrich, edited by Jesse Lumen, with production assistance and music by Colin Feldman. Special thanks to our union station, Homeless Services Lived Expertise Advisory Panel, or LEAP, for their insights. <laughs>